phenomenon, this curious amnesia we seem to have about our past. There's, uh, well, let me put this to both of you guys. There's a tremendous amount of concern, particularly at the government level, for what they refer to as Canadian culture. Now, exactly what that is, I'm not sure, and neither is anybody else, but they seem to be so concerned about Canadian culture with a capital C. And yet, at the same time, the same groups, the same governmental bodies, the same educators, the same rah-rah Canadian nationalists don't seem to spend a whole lot of time dwelling on Canada's past. To me, in many ways, it's the past that defines our culture, such as it is. It's the shared experiences. It's the coming of age at, at Vimy Ridge that's been mentioned before this morning. It's the fact that, uh, that when the call went out, Canada was there in World War II. the end of the war, we had the fourth largest navy on the planet for a, a little country like ours. And it seems to me that this tells us an awful lot, the, uh, the willingness of Canadians to serve when the call was there and the need was genuine. Bob, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, and I, I don't know whether so much a question as just a kind of a statement and see where we go with it, but sure. I think we, we are making a tremendous mistake by not, not, I'm not saying we should be glorifying war, I don't mean that at all, but the fact that today there are many, many people around this country who at 11 o'clock went right on doing whatever it was they were doing, uh, there are many people who will hardly notice that today was Remembrance Day at all. It's not a major holiday anymore. We had a lady call today saying in her home on Remembrance Day for dinner they have bread and water in, in remembrance of her family members who lost their lives. And I couldn't help but contrast that with what most people in, you know, it's just a day like any other day. How do we get there Is it, and should we be here, I guess? Boy, that's a loaded question. That 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 speaks to so many issues. Uh, you know, Remembrance Day. I always found it a, a terrible uh, division between whether it was a day of mourning or a day of celebration. It, you know, depending on whether you were mourning the people who sacrificed their lives in in the previous world wars, mm -hmm. or whether we're here to celebrate what they accomplished for us and the environment they left behind that allowed us to flourish to the point that we have today. Um, it's it's you know it's very funny there's a great concern now that history and its significance which to me is the more important thing is not being taught in the schools properly it's interesting because i relate to my own my own experience in high school i did do not do well in history i just basically got by with the marks and i looking back i think i understand why it's because most of history was just taught as a series of dates and places to remember and, and, and certain personalities to remember, the battles they did, and never the significance. But one day I had an epiphany sitting in my grade 12 history class because I remember our history teacher that day making a comment about war in particular. And it was just a, one of those comments that just went by the wayside but left a question mark in my mind for years to come. He said that, that every single war was preceded by one particular phenomenon, and that was inflation. I mean, and, and then, but he never went on to explain why that was. What was it about that thing? I, I just perked up in class and I said to myself, now there's what I want to know about. That would be significant. Why does every war follow, you know, follow a period preceded you know, by inflation? Although not every inflationary period is followed by war. Mm -hmm. But that's a constant. It's there in everything. And I thought, why didn't the history class concentrate on that issue more and explain why that was so that we could avoid this thing again in the future. Mm -hmm. But apparently the reason is, is there's so much disagreement over that and it's, it's a disagreement that carries on to this day. Uh, you know, if you look at World War I and II, they were almost a, a, 
and a clash of the extreme left and the extreme right, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, we're here left, right, and center. This this was the extreme of each uh, ideology coming into contact with each other. You had, uh, in World War II, you had the communists versus the fascists, basically, and then the rest of the free world got dragged into it. But, uh, you know, t to me, if this day is to have some significance, it is to understand the significance of politics in our daily life because it can lead to such terrible things mm -hmm. as, as war and why politics is not as abstract as most people believe and what are the basic ideas uh, you know, that run a country's culture and what, is the, what are the conditions of war versus the conditions of peace. These are the things that I think we should be learning from a day like Remembrance Day and always carry with us. Jeff, let me ask you uh, the, the same thing. Um, wh wh where are we? How did we get here? And is it a good place to be? Uh, well, I, I uh, have to declare a bias at the outset because I, I like, happen to like history, so it's maybe unfair for me to say that I think history is pretty important. Um, but it's always something that, that I took every history course I could get in school, and I've, I've always read, uh, you know, history, uh, and particularly it's, most of the history I've read seems to involve either biographies or wars for some reason or another. That's just what sort of interests me. But uh, I think, though, that uh, the significance of Remembrance Day from my end of things is that uh, we don't really, as a society, take that much time to sit back and, and be a bit introspective and think about things that may be more important than the hurly-burly of day-to-day -day life. And certainly there's nothing you know, more important than, uh, than honoring the people who, who did go and die you know, for our country to continue. For me, it, it, it speaks to the importance that they attach to the idea of a community and what that meant. And I think about uh, Canada and how in many ways, when you talk about how Canada's defined itself and sort of broken free of, uh, of being a colony, it happened during wartime certainly in World War I, uh, that's when our Navy was established. Mm -hmm. and I, I was reading not that long ago about how the plan from the standpoint of Great Britain was that they hoped that Canada would contribute a couple of battleships to the British Navy, and Canada said, well, no, thanks very much. We're going to establish our own Navy. We're our own country. Um, same thing happening with Canadians fighting together, and uh, mm -hmm. I think Vimy Ridge was an example of that, mm -hmm. where prior to that, uh, often Canadians fought as parts of the British um, Army. Uh, and I think as well that uh, it's a time, though, for us to think about some of the, the distinct, distinctiveness about Canada. And when I think about wars in Canada, I think about how I can't remember Canada starting any wars. You know, that they're not, we're not a warlike people, which is not to say that if somebody decides to pick a fight, we're going to shirk our duties or back away from it, because I don't think that we do. And I think that that's something that does define us very uniquely uh, and is something to be proud of, although I recognize the... Um, the there, there always seems to be a concern that if you honor people who participated in wars, that somehow you're glorifying war and condoning war. And I would think that most of those people would say, uh, who participated in the wars would say the opposite. Uh, that, uh, in fact, that there are people who are the, in the best position to say war is a bad thing, you know, listen to what I'm saying. And it is really too bad that... Uh, that we do forget. You know, we get so busy and, and wrapped up in things. Uh, I was struck actually last night. Uh, my son told me that, uh, just to say that we're not forgetting entirely, my son's in beavers. And uh, I guess they had to wear their beaver uniform to school today for their uh, Remembrance Day ceremony. That's, you know, if you're in a uniform, you have to wear your uniform. And, and I think that that's good. And we, we had, it, it provided a chance for us to talk a bit about, you know, he's seven, and talk about, okay, you know what this day is about, you know, the significance of it and stuff. 
and uh, and I think that it was very important in that way. Uh, and it, it is too bad that uh, perhaps Remembrance Day is sort of fleeting in memory to some extent. On the other hand, I suppose it speaks to uh, to the peaceful society we have. You know, interesting to me that there are four people within my view right now, Bob and Jeff and Ryan and myself, and all four of us are wearing poppies. But as you walk around for the last week or so, and I've, I'm very aware of looking for people, then you see the odd one, but there's all kinds of people who aren't wearing one. Now, I respect them if they don't want it. Say, I'm not interested in that. It doesn't mean anything to me. I, I have respect for their position. They have the right to feel that way. That's another thing that this day is all about. That's right. The, uh, the irony is that the very reason they don't have to wear anything I, like that exactly is... Exactly right. For the same reason. But I do find it a little disappointing. Either you noticed that at all or is it something that's crossed your uh, crossed your attention? Well, in fact, this is the year with the poppy boxes being stolen. I heard the yeah. fifth one had been stolen. Yeah, isn't that charming too? Just amazing. But that, I think, that could happen at any time. I, I refuse to take that as a condemnation of society. I think there's just a couple losers out there with nothing better to do. I agree. I, I think most of what maybe we're seeing is, is just that, that generational gap. It's getting wider and wider from the people who actually experienced the war and who are still alive today and, and the new generations who have never experienced a war, of which I'm glad to say I'm in one of them. Mm -hmm. um, I do note, you know, whenever I go around speaking on subjects of, of freedom and the fundamental values that a country like Canada is built on, that most of my audiences, I hate to say, are senior citizens and, mm -hmm. and or certainly the older folk. You don't see too many young folks interested in the basic values that a country is based on. In fact, uh, I don't think they even see a significance in it. And that, to me, is a breeding ground for a repeat of history. My concern about that is, and I, I share yours, but my, my concern, the specifics of my concern are that we have two generations at the very least in this country, and maybe three, who have lived in a period of unprecedented prosperity, in spite of the ups and downs of mm -hmm. the economy and so on, unprecedented prosperity. And I get the very real sense from, it's like you, Bob, I, I do a lot of speaking to groups and I talk to a lot of people as part of this job, both on and off the air. I get the sense there are a whole lot of Canadians out there who really believe that this is the way things are and this is kind of the way things always were and this is the way things always will be in this kind of relatively free relatively prosperous uh, um, uh, society in which you can pretty much go where you want do what you want work or not work you're always going to eat you're always going to have a place to live nobody's you know sniping at you from a rooftop all of these things it seems to me there are millions of people out there who believe that this is sort of this is the natural way of things when in fact this is not this is this is unnatural if you look at the historical context it's right and if you forget history you know what happens it's also Santa Ana said you're doomed to repeat it again it's also a parallel to the condition generally of the of the let us, let us say the Western world prior to World War One. I. I mean, there was a there was a long period of history where there were no major wars, yes, basically from from the Napoleonic Wars right up to 1914. Mm -hmm. So, even the people of the time who were caught in this worst war of all time, uh, you know, were in that same state of mind going mm -hmm. into it, and that's why. It always concerns me that the things that can have such a dramatic effect on your life are so subtle in your day-to-day -day life until that day arrives, mm -hmm. you know? It's striking, though, to me in that uh, I think we're perhaps different than the Americans, and maybe because our armed forces are so much smaller, but you don't think about the fact that we've got all kinds of veterans walking around who are very recent veterans. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have served in Bosnia, people who have, lots of Canadian yeah. soldiers have died there, and, and I, I didn't really think about that until I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and uh, uh, went to a... Um, 
Air Force Museum, or it's actually a uh, Naval Air Museum, uh, an aircraft carrier, and on it they had uh, some captured, well, the, first of all, they had a uh, helicopter that had been used in the Gulf War, and then they had a captured uh, Iraqi tank from the Gulf War, and sort of everything else is World War II and Vietnam and everything else, I think it's all sort of ancient history, but then there's this sort of stuff that brings you right up to the present and says, no, this is happening now, today. Mm -hmm. But then I'm thinking, well, that's happening with Canadians as well as Americans, that uh, Canadians are dying over there, and yet I, I don't really sense that we respect our new veterans in the way that uh, perhaps we should. Well, I think that the, uh, personally, I put the blame to that directly, well, indirectly. We're all to blame, but at the foot of the government, I don't know if you gentlemen read uh, the series in the Free Press uh, last week about the soldiers in Bosnia and what they, that, that what they went through and what they went through when they came home, essentially being abandoned by the military, under-equipped, under-supplied, badly led, uh, put in harm's way for no good reason. They come home, many of them wounded and so on, treated like crap, quite frankly. Uh, Pat O'Brien, our local MP, has been on this new uh, uh, investigative committee that's come forward with this new report that says we've got to fix this, that, and the other thing. All three of us sitting here know that isn't likely to happen. To me, that's a very sad commentary. It, and it ties into to Remembrance Day, too. He, these mm -hmm. are people who are out there. They're not in the broad sense, risking their lives for us today, but they are risking their lives for a greater good, for a greater purpose. And we're kind of sloughing them off. It's like, psh, big deal. I wonder if it's because a lot of Canadians don't believe that that's why they're over there. Um, the first unpopular war, in my memory, was the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And that changed the face of America forever. Um, it was a war that was, when the veterans came back from Vietnam, they did not receive the same kind of welcome that the veterans of World War I and II not at all. Uh, received. And, of course, it was an undeclared war as well, which, which added to all the issues of the day. And, and I think a lot of Americans didn't see it as their business being over yeah. there. So it speaks to the fact that if you do not have the support of, of the very fundamental support of the citizenry, uh, I don't know that the military is going to get the kind of input and support that it needs to function properly. And in that context, I think you, we have to place ourselves where we see ourselves certainly in the position of defense. Not peacekeeping, not, mm -hmm. not offensive, not going out and getting into other people's business, but when other people interfere with our business and it comes out, you know, onto our soil or threatens to, mm -hmm. then, we, then we're all in agreement, which, which is natural, let's face it. And that does tend to focus our attention. Absolutely. We're going to pause for a moment. When we return, we will open the phones for a few minutes. If you have any reminiscences you would care to share or acknowledgments of people, uh, your loved ones, or people in your family who uh, have made the, the ultimate sacrifice, or, or indeed any sacrifice in defense of this country, uh, the airways will be yours for a few minutes when we return. It's Talk of the Town. Uh, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz are with me in the studio. It's not our conventional left, right, and center, because we all share a concern today, and that is that uh, a number of interlocking concerns, that we don't forget history lest we be doomed to repeat it. I think we all share the idea that we need to focus more on that, and our young people need to be taught more than they're getting today about uh, where this country came from in order we have a clearer vision as where it might go. Uh, we've opened the phones for a few minutes here for your thoughts and reminiscences. Uh, and acknowledgments of uh, perhaps people in your family that uh, that you think need to be acknowledged in particular today. And Bud has been waiting very patiently. Hi, Bud. Hi. Yes, sir. I appreciate today's show. I'm a veteran of Korea and Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would disagree with your guest. Uh, Korea was the first unpopular war. Mm -hmm. uh, the derision and, and divisiveness uh, I, fa I faced when coming back from Korea was just as bad as coming back from Vietnam. Was it really? Because the, the history books don't 
quite suggest that. They suggest it was some of that, but but I've never had the sense that it was as bad. But in your experience, it was. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. Now, why do you think that was? Because it did seem that there was more of a clear-cut enemy in the Korean. When island. I went into Korea, uh, we didn't understand why we were there, mm -hmm. and I think that's the reason. Yeah. Uh, we understood that there was some communist menace and so forth, but uh, we had no real understanding of what it was. It wasn't clear-cut like Hitler yeah, yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Uh, about ten years ago, I, I appreciate your, your, your thing with Silsenberg this morning because uh, I taught uh, history at uh, Glendale High School ten years ago. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a senior class, mind you. And I, I took a survey when we first started they had no idea what Korea was about. Mm -hmm. uh, they thought that General Eisenhower was a great Canadian general, and uh, he was also the president of, or the pre uh, prime minister of Canada. Oh. And in this kind of stuff, our, our history, I found, was not being taught. And uh, I know when I went to school, I was taught history in grammar school. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe this, but we struggled through that year. And hopefully I left them with something. But uh, it's, it's, it's appalling to think that uh, history means nothing to uh, kids today because they're not taught. Well, it means nothing to them because it doesn't mean enough to the people who are in the positions to determine what they should be taught. I'm that, not talking about the teachers. That's right. And I don't think we can ever afford to forget. That's why I appreciate remembering Day. I don't talk about what I did in the war. Yeah. But uh, I, I appreciate the Remembrance Day. But I'm I'm glad you called today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Bye bye. And John's with us. Hello, John. Uh, good morning, Jim. Uh, you're a great reader of, of past history in one thing and another. I think I recall giving you some books by um, Montgomery and Bradley. And yes, Patton. indeed. Yes. And uh, while well, I read Bradley, Montgomery, Wavell, Cunningham, Ismay, Eisenhower, Struggle for You, Mark Clark, the most interesting book which I also gave you was fortunately I have a copy of it was. Um, John Gunther, mm -hmm. and he's inside Europe. Inside Europe, yes. And he uh, bespoke and wrote about the First World War and then parts of the Second World War, because as you recall, he died before the end of the Second mm -hmm. World War. And what I, uh, this is an observation I made, Jim, was mm -hmm. that professional militarists, you know, they made clinical uh, analysis and mathematical computations with regards to the expenditure of human life. Mm -hmm. And what I recall about Gunther more than anything else, as far as his book was concerned, was his final comment was, it would be of small comfort to know that lodged within my mouldering bones is a piece of lead which has made someone two cents profit. You recall those lines? <laughs> I can't say that I do, John, but uh, they're very much to the point, aren't they? But with respect to my own experiences, limited though they are, given that they came from the family, the thing that struck me more than anything else and brought my attention to the reality of all this was when I was going through the effects of an old aunt who was 103 when she died. And there were three sisters, all of the same name. And none of them got married. And it never occurred to me to ask them, you know, during my life, as to why they hadn't got married. But I was going through the effects and there were old photographs of various soldiers in the, in, in the First World War mm -hmm. and various scenes. And the reason why they never got married, Jim, was 
they all of them lost their boyfriends. Yeah. And uh, how shall we say, honor and dedication to, how shall we say, human remembrance, I don't mm. think was demonstrated more than by the fact that none of them ever got married. Yeah. And with regards to my own opinion, with regards to war, it's not copyrighted, by the way, and I just happened to write it down. Of all conditions of human endeavor, war expresses to the utmost those elements of good and evil lodged within the human soul. I'll let you go with that, Jim. Thank you, John. Appreciate Bye -bye. it. Exactly right. Fight is with us. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. I have a in front of me a poem written by a grade 8 student. I heard so many people saying that maybe students aren't aware of war, and I thought it's not very long if I could just read it. Sure, you go ahead. It was World War One and World War Two. The Canadian soldiers fought for me and you. They fought through night, they fought through day, and now we have Remembrance Day. Our soldiers, they were strong and brave for our country, their lives they gave, leaving behind each beloved person and thing knowing they might miss all the joys that life can bring. Now many lie in Flanders field, and our freedom they did not yield. For this is for the thing called war. Sometimes I wonder how many more. And it was written by a grade 8 student out in West Lorne. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just so beautiful that maybe some children are getting the idea of what our, their ancestors went through. Yeah. And I'd also like to thank my daughter for bringing up that little story about her uncle earlier on in the program, mm -hmm. Julie. Mm -hmm. She was very fond of this man, and we're very proud of him, too. Thank, thank you thank for you. calling today. Bye-bye. Yeah, and we have uh, Dan with us. Hi, Dan. Hi. Uh, I guess I'll go against the grain of the mood this morning a little bit. I hope I won't cause too much trouble. But well, I'm going to caution you to be very careful then. Okay. Well, on the cenotaph downtown, there's a phrase, the glorious dead. I've got a problem with that in the, in the sense that um, um, if they died for this country, then why aren't they buried here? I mean, they're buried in France, and the French are so grateful that they sent someone like Charles de Gaulle to say things like Vive le Quebec Libre and, and make our lives more miserable. Well, you must remember that they didn't send de Gaulle. He was the president, came over and mouthed off on his own. I think in fairness, we should note that most of those graves in France are very lovingly tended by the French people and the French government. And uh, they have some nicer war monuments there to our dead than we do. Mm -hmm. It just seems like the you know the price of Canadian blood is cheap though you know I mean uh, I wish they would remember these countries that we fought for uh, I wish they would remember what we did for them more than uh, than what, what what we see today in like international affairs and things like that. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Guys, when when we talk about the glorious dead, and that's a phrase that comes up a lot, and and John a moment ago alluded to the fact that war tends to bring out the best and the worst of the human condition. How do we make sure when we are talking about uh, about the best, about the, most, about the most noble things, that we don't get confused or confuse young people as previous generations were into thinking that war was a wonderful thing, it was a glorious thing, it was a fabulous thing, can't wait to strap on the saber and get at the other guy. How do we balance those two things? Well, I guess uh, I think there has been a big change in society over the last uh, 
well, at least certainly in my lifetime, at least in the sense that you don't see the sort of glorious war movies that you used to. You see Saving Private Ryan now instead of uh, The Longest Day, for instance. Mm-hmm. I think that society has, has uh, taken a different perspective, although I'm also very conscious and sensitive of the fact that uh, you, you had mentioned earlier that it's sort of easy now to sit back and say you live in a peaceful society. We must be a lot smarter than anybody was in history before us, and obviously we're not. No. That's the stupidest thing to start by, by thinking. Um, but I think that uh, I think that one thing we really have to be careful of is not to, in any sense, be critical of our kids today and say kids today don't remember this, they don't know, they don't know the significance, they have these light, easygoing lives, and so on. And I was struck actually by something I had read not that long ago about uh, some of the, the people who uh, the Americans who fought in the Philippines at the start of World War II mm-hmm. in the Battle of Bataan, and how a bunch of them were civilians. And they said that prior to the war starting, they were all easygoing, swing music, you know, Joe mm-hmm. College was the, the, the phrase, and that they surprised themselves at what they how how they changed dramatically when they got into this war and believed in what they were doing defending the uh, Philippines from the Japanese and they found in themselves that they did have valor they did have all these these glorious qualities but had the war not occurred they would have never shown up in them I think that it's a, it's a mistake to uh, in any way be saying to kids you don't know what it's like you know you've got this easy life we're the ones who train our kids we're the ones who persuade them to think what that what they should think and I think that we need to be careful too uh, to be open to them and say, these are people you should admire. These are good things that happened. Um, I hope that if, if, if uh, your family was threatened or things that were important to you were threatened, you would take the same steps. And I know you would. You know, fundamentally, there are kids. Um, but uh, but having said that, I think that uh, we have we have let memory sort of dim and that's something that that is a big problem i'm glad actually that you've got got this program on today i had no idea sort of coming in here that this is what it was going to be about but it gets me thinking and uh uh, i think that the more we do of this kind of thing the better and in a non-judgmental way it's not a day for division it's not a day of was this a good war or a bad war it's that people went to wars for reasons that were were important to them uh that they sacrificed heroically and that nobody should ever criticize that i I think too, when you talk about quote the glorious dead, you know the people who died for a cause, that 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 tends a greater significance. For for example, I just did some rereading on World War One yesterday, and it was I was surprised to learn that in 1918, 20 million people around the world died of influenza. Yes which was almost twice as many as died in the four years of the war, yet we do not attach the same significance to that loss of life as we do to the loss of life of those who died in a war situation. Because war, unlike disease and pestilence and storms and hurricanes and, and nature, is a com- completely man-made contrivance. It's, it, it speaks to the conflict that will, men will allow themselves to elevate to, you know, that level mm-hmm. of conflict, when, when finally all the all the proper barriers of individual rights and 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 respecting the other guy just finally break down on a national and international level, and uh, I think that's what makes a war so much different from any other kind of human tragedy. We're going to pause for a moment. We will return to take some more of your calls and continue our discussion with uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer on this edition of Talk of the Town. This is Talk of the Town on November the 11th, 1998, the 60th. Anniversary, 80th anniversary. Excuse 80th me, anniversary. the 80th anniversary of the end of World War One. Uh, Bob and Jeff with me in the studio, and Barb has been waiting on the telephone. Hi, Barb. Hi, Jim. Yes. Um, I just wanted to tell you a little bit. Um, we didn't know anything about my father-in-law. He never ever talked about the war at all. Mm-hmm. But um, he passed away last September, 
and uh, there were some of his war buddies were at the funeral and that. Yeah. And I have a little bit to read to you about his eulogy. Mm-hmm. It says, shortly after the Second World War broke out, Ed left his farm to serve his country in the Royal Canadian Air Force. As an aero engine mechanic, he was first stationed at Mount View, Ontario, where he worked on ferry battle aircraft, then to Vulcan, Alberta, to service Sensons, Ansons, and Yales. At Sorry, SFTS, Ansons, and Bulberg were aircraft used for training purposes. He was posted overseas in June 1944, and after having working on four-engine Halifax bomber aircraft for about a month, he was posted to the second technical air force on the continent. He went to Belgium, He once they once told him, and came up about a half a mile behind the front line, sometimes less than that. He followed them right to and crossed the Rhine River and to Hanover, Germany, one hour and 20 minutes after the Canadian paratroopers had landed. On one occasion in Germany, Ed shot a wild pig. He and a German prisoner skinned it in a bomb shelter. Captors and captives alike had a real feast, after which a prisoner shook hands with Ed, who then put the handcuffs back on him. At the Eberg River on the second TAF met up with the advancing Russians. It was here that Ed suffered a very serious ear wound caused by an explosion on a German buzz bomb. He was hospitalized, operated on without any anesthetic, and then flown back to England by a Minidosa pilot. I just thought, like, it really surprised me when we were at the eulogy and heard all the different things that... Yeah. My father-in-law, Ed Hamer, had done. And, you know, it, it draws home, Barb, the fact that, that the war for many people, many, many people was not necessarily a gun in your hand pulling the trigger. Right. It was people like Ed who were still in harm's way, mm-hmm. but uh, performing very valuable services slightly behind the lines, but often, as you say, not very far behind. Right. Yeah, I'm glad you called today. Thank yeah, you so well, much. Yeah, well, I just to tell you about the German soldier. I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. thanks for the call. All right, Take bye. Take care, bye-bye. I listen for it every year, and it's uh, very appropriate. It needs to be uh, continued. Um, My father was in the First World War. He came home from it, but he was gassed in it, and uh, his health was never the same afterwards. Uh, He died uh, at a young age, 54, and um, my uncle also served in that war. But um, I wanted to call Mamie for my my husband um his father and two brothers were in the second world war um his brothers uh, joined up actually younger than they should have been yeah a lot of that one yes and uh, his older brother was killed in Dieppe, and i think so often um they don't know where where his body is they don't know where he lies and I think how horrible it would be for you know to lose a sibling and not know where they're where they're buried where they are and um, I think our young people have to they have to be told this I I, you know I try to impress it on our own family um, so that they won't forget um, and that they will never have to suffer this loss. Yeah. Um, thank you for calling today. Thank you, Jim. Take care. Bye. Bye. We have uh, Tom on the show. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jim. How are you doing this morning? I'm fine, thank you. That's good. Uh, very emotional program, and so it should be. Uh, 
I am not an elderly person calling in, but rather one who, who went to the jungle instead of to the fields of Flanders. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a son who fought in the desert sand. My grandfather was wounded at Vimy Ridge. I now have another son who's going into the military. And I sure hope that nobody else in my family ever has to say, we honor those who gave their all and have been their comrade rather than their rememberer. It's just, it's incredible that there are so many conflicts out there that it, and people don't understand what combat is all about. Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's something that uh, leaves an impression that will never ever go away from anyone. I wish we could spread that, bottle that impression and spread it around the world so particularly people behind the scenes who do the things that lead us towards conflicts get a better idea of what they're really doing. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you had a caller in who was questioning about the statement, the glorious death mm -hmm. on, on the cenotaphs. Yes. Uh, that gentleman has to remember that all cenotaphs in this country were created by warriors for warriors. Yep. And that's that's what that is all about. Thank you for the call, Tom. Uh, one more point. Sure. You had a gentleman who referred, one of your guests, actually, I can't remember which one, was referring to the fact that we don't attach the same importance to the pestilence that hit in different centuries as we do to war. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the fault of possibly the educational system. I'm sure the medical people attach just as much importance to that pestilence as I do to Remembrance Day. You're probably right. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Jim. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just while I think of it, too, one of our earlier guests made the comment about General Grant burning Atlanta. And sure as shooting, somebody's going to call me after the show and say it wasn't Grant, it was Sherman. Yes, <laughs> we know it was Sherman. Um, we have to pause, says Ryan, and we always do what Ryan tells us. We will be back with more of this very special Remembrance Day edition of Talk of the Town. This is Talk of the Town. It's a very special Remembrance Day program, left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and we've been discussing our different, not different actually, very similar takes on this and the importance of remembering our history. We've also opened our phones for those of you who perhaps have some remembrances of uh, people who are important to you or other important things to say about this day. I, I said earlier that to me, although it is Remembrance Day, it's also Thanksgiving Day. And, and for me, because I think it's a day when we should give thanks. And I must also say, this is the birthday of my eldest nephew, Robert Andrew Hawes. And so for me, there's a particular poignancy here. Here is a young man, uh, the long-awaited first grandchild. Um, that was very special. He was born on a day that has an awful lot of significance to me. And uh, he is of a generation that uh, did not have to face the horrors of war, and in fact was a generation removed from the generation that did. So a very special day for a lot of different reasons, for me and for many, many other people too. Um, but a happy birthday to Rob, I should say that too. Emily joins us next. Hi, Emily. Hi, Jim. I just wanted to say that I've been sitting here recollecting things, and I had uh, my father and three uncles in the First World War. Mm -hmm. My father was a war amputee. Mm he -hmm. lived with us after we were married, made his home with us because our mother died quite young. Mm -hmm. and there were five children. And as my father says, you know, when we asked him why he never remarried again, he said, Who'd want, who would want a one-armed man with five children? <laughs> but I, my uncle, I have the, the silver cross from one uncle. And my other uncle, who was badly wounded, one gassed, 
Not, this is in the First World War. They're my mother's brothers. I have the Silver Cross and the medals from their, their experiences in the war. And my one uncle was badly wounded. He had 13 operations between England and coming back to Canada. He ended up with a silver plate in his head. And you think about these things, because I remember them. I, remember, I, I don't remember the uncle was killed. I wasn't born then, but I certainly remember the, 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 the other two uncles. And in the Second World War, I had two first cousins killed and, and uh, two uncles of my mm -hmm. father's younger brothers that were yeah. in the Second World War. But what I remember more than anything, I think, about the Second World War is when it was my father pacing the floor when the newscasts were coming in. And I know you could tell by looking at him that he was going through the First World War all over again. Yeah. Emily, thanks for calling us today. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Let's talk of the town. Left, right, and center with uh, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz and yours truly, Jim Chapman. Guys, is there anything we can do, do you think, as individuals to, to do more than what little we've been able to do in the program here today? Obviously, all of us share the same idea and the same concerns that we not forget the lessons of the past. Uh, the education system, in many ways, does what it does and has done what it, what it does for, you know, how many years now? However, at whatever point the uh, importance attached to our history fell away from education. When I was in school, which was back in the 60s, it was still very important but was starting to fade the interest in it was starting to fade and now I'm told that there are provinces on, on in Canada where you can uh, you can go through your entire high school career and never take one history course what do we do about that as individuals beyond as you said Jeff speaking to your children and, and Bob I'm sure you've talked to your daughter at some point about this what else can we do if anything that's that's a tough question uh, you know you almost have to tell the stories again. I think, in a large way, our, our whole entertainment media is doing that in many ways to make these events of the past, bring them back to life for people who are living today and watching them and make them as real as they can so mm -hmm. they can share that experience as much as they can. Although it does not always speak to the root causes of what a particular war might have been started about. It mm -hmm. m mostly speaks to the human tragedy behind it and, and what we should do to avoid that kind of tragedy. But, uh, y you know, war is not... You know, World War One and Two were not unique in the sense of what caused them. Every war is fundamentally caused by the same set of conditions, although maybe in different mixes. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we should be doing is, is learning what those conditions are, what conditions lead to war, what conditions ensure peace. Um, you know, the, the famous French statesman Frederick Bastiat said it all in a statement when he said, when goods don't cross borders, armies will. And fundamentally, at the heart of all war is barriers against free trade. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always the case, because trade is the means by which human beings survive. And then when governments become very heavy and statist and, and uh, where they, the individual is sub, you know, secondary to the interests of the state, let, mm -hmm. let us say, then the rest is inevitable if we don't keep an eye out on things. Jeff, do you think there's any sense that... Uh, have we moved beyond that at all? I mean, I, 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 we look at today what's happening in the Gulf and where their war, the outbreak of war is imminent yet again. But there seems to be that today, in many of the outbreaks, they, t they are uh, much more political than they used to be in some ways, 
ethnic conflicts stronger than in some ways they were in the past. But we don't seem to have the the overwhelming kinds of economic problems that Bob's talking about between the major powers, all of the major powers on the planet today seem more or less economically reconciled to each other, and uh, more or less. And that's, that's a situation we have been in seldom in the history of this planet. Do you think that bodes well for the future in terms of, you know, at least perhaps limiting wars to the kinds of small ones we've been having lately? Well, who knows? Uh, that's a good question. I guess on the one hand, I think that... Uh, that around the world generally uh, people have grown up with with a different perception of war than they may have in the past and part of it I think goes back to this idea that, that war is not glorified in the way that once it was and I think that, that as I say is something that's fairly universal um, and I look at the collapse of the Soviet Union for instance uh, a society that uh, at one time and for some pretty good reasons uh, had a strong tradition of militarism um, having been trampled by Napoleon mm -hmm. and then Hitler uh, and millions of people killed um, but ultimately, uh, you know, they worked out sort of their big political difference without another revolution, without resorting to arms, which is astounding to me that that could happen. Although I, I uh, think that it's probably more good luck than good management, mm -hmm. uh, really. But I think that uh, I think that there's been an effort by our generation, and I don't think we always have to sell ourselves short. Maybe we don't teach enough history, but I think that there's been an effort to try and be more accurate in the history that we do teach. And I think that there's been an effort to try and have more credibility and not have the cynicism uh, on the part of our kids to think that well you're just feeding me a line of uh, of BS because it's uh, you want to support uh, nationalism or whatever I read even the history books that I read now about events that I've been reading about all my life are, are always coming out with new things World War two for instance uh, new perspectives new things you hear about and, and it comes up to as recently as uh, just said in the paper last week reading about how uh, in Bosnia what were classified as accidents were clearly uh, firefights, you know, mm -hmm. where people were involved mm -hmm. in. I think there is less cynicism on the part of the young now. I think that they tend to think that they have a better idea of what's going on than, than maybe they did in the past. And I, I hope that that sort of tends to diffuse things a little before they get to this fever pitch. Uh, we were talked a bit at the break about World War One, and why did that war start? There's just no good reason mm -hmm. for it. Uh, and and it seems, and I, again, I'm, I'm extremely wary of uh, don't ignore history or you will relive it, but it seems like people are able to work things out a little better than they had in the past. But at, at any given time, they say there's, what, 20 or 30 wars going on in the country. Mm -hmm. you, you can't get sort of complacent about it, or in the world, I should we're, say. We're back to, uh, back to the phones, and Richard's with us. Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you today, Jim? Fine, thank you. Um, You've been talking about education, etc. I just wanted just came from the uh, ceremony at Lucan. Yes. And uh, I think Lucan should be held up as an example. Mm -hmm. They had all of their schools there. Yep. The, the auditorium them. was uh, uh, filled with them. Good for them indeed, yep. And, uh, you know, it's being a vet myself, I, I, I uh, have looked at this situation long and hard. I find on television that there's a tremendous amount of of good, uh, good non-Hollywood information and stories About on the History Channel yes, dealing with yep. with our history back right through. Yep. And uh, history to me does not mean just the wars. No. History is history. It's, yeah, it's, it's the life. It's the of passing the country. parade, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I thought that I should mention Lucan to you this morning because uh, it was I was very impressed with the youngsters, and they had uh, two uh, of our young peacekeepers speaking, mm. talking on Bosnia and their their losses of one or well, I'm glad to hear they did it in Luke, and I hope they did it across the country, but uh, experience tells me they probably didn't, not nearly as much as they should have. Richard, I have to leave it, but I thank you for your call, sir. Not at all. Thanks. Good to hear from you today. Thanks to both of you gentlemen for indulging me a little bit today and, and straying away from <laughs> yeah. our usual format on Left, Right, and Center, but Good I know idea. this is an important issue to both of you as well, and I thank you. Uh, on tomorrow's program, we will talk to Peter C. Newman about the third installment in his popular and critically acclaimed establishment series. This is the new book, Titans, how the new Canadian establishment sees power. And this is a neat story, too. I've read the book, and it's uh, got a lot of neat stuff to say. Also, we will have an exclusive interview with a Londoner undergoing a sex change. We'll also be talking to the psychiatrists involved to try and get a better understanding of transgender issues, particularly at a time when the province has said we're not paying for them anymore. Jim Fraser, the executive director of the Arcade Street Mission, will be joining us uh, for a brief update on what they're doing. And on Friday, the 13th, among other things, Terry Boyle, the author of Haunted Ontario, will be with us. So lots of good things coming up on the upcoming editions of Remember to stay. Please do bear it in mind. It isn't over till midnight, and it, in fact, should never be over. For my guests, for Ryan and Karen, Jim saying, take care of each other, mind how you go, and God bless all.